you have shown us, uh, Lord, for what you have lavished upon us through your mercy and with withholding the punishment that we deserve and placing that punishment upon the person of Jesus. And so, Lord, in this place today as we have gathered uh, at Bowling Green Christian Academy as the church, um, as Mission Church, as we have come here, God, to celebrate and to lift high no other name except for the name of Jesus. Lord, we, Jesus, we ask you, Lord, that you would move mightily in the hearts of the men and women who have gathered here in this place, Lord, that they would hear the preaching and teaching of the word, that the, the saints, God, as we lift our voices through singing, through song, Lord, through praying, through giving, uh, through laying down our lives, through acts of service, God, as we um, kind of uh, just wrap up, God, a sermon series through the book of Romans today, Jesus, we ask that you would move mightily, God, just reign upon us, God, may your anointing power and spirit rest upon us, Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who are weak, those who are burdened and oppressed, Lord, those doubters and skeptics who are with us today, Jesus. I pray, God, that you would resurrect them from death into life, Lord. May we be a place where people can struggle and wrestle and yet receive healing through the person and work of Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray for the lost person that they would be saved. We pray for the believer that they would hear what the Spirit says to the church. And may we act accordingly and obediently, God, as we walk in holiness, not as an act of salvation, but because we have been saved through Jesus. And so, Lord, reign upon us, move within us, and be glorified in this place today. May we be most satisfied in you, Jesus, and your glory on this day and every day, this Lord's day. Amen and amen. Well, thank you. Uh, for gathering with us here today at Mission Church. My name is Eric Baker, and um, on behalf of those of us who call Mission Church our church home, we want to thank you guys uh, for hanging out with us today. Now, today we're going to be finishing up, we're actually covering a whole chapter, all of chapter 16, but if you have read ahead this week and have been a part of our church over the last two years at any point, we've been doing a sermon series, kind of working verse by verse, sometimes word for word um, through the book of Romans, and today um, this all culminates with Paul's conclusion to this letter. But if you have ever read chapter uh, 16 of the book of Romans, you will quickly realize there are some very uncommon names that are mentioned, and um, I thought about embarrassing Adam um, greatly today, but I've shown him grace and not done that. Um, but I am going to cover the earlier part, but we'll be ending with Paul's doxology today. Simply titled, uh, the conclusion is the gospel-centered church. And uh, Paul um, is ending up this letter. Um, if you can picture with me for a moment, by this time Paul is probably up in age. Um, it is believed that Paul's eyesight is not very good. And so when this letter is being written, it is not being written by his hand. He is preaching this letter to a scribe. And Paul even mentions the scribe's name here um, in this letter. And so imagine for a moment, it's taken us two years, but this is all coming off of 
Paul's mind from being anointed by the Spirit of God as he is preaching probably in this room um, to this man and Timothy and some other guys are probably there as well and he's writing this down for Paul. So they would have read all of this together but all great stories should have great endings. I don't know about you, but I, I love movies. I love good stories. I love good, entertaining movies that I can get wrapped up in the characters with. But there's nothing more frustrating than putting two hours now, three hours into a movie for it to end horribly, right? Hollywood has gotten into this real um, popular thing as of late of taking books, right, and making it into movies. And I can't tell you how mad I was every time I finished watching Twilight when they would end it. <laughs> at a terrible spot, and then I would have to wait a next year to find out between the dog boy and the bloodsucker who was going to win. I mean, it would just make me mad, right? But this is a, a very common thing, and we spend all this time, effort, energy, we sit there for hours for it to go, credits. And you're like, man, I've got to wait. Well, Paul is going to end this really well. And so if you have your Bibles, make sure that you're with me on chapter 16 as we kind of look at this ending um, that is going to just kind of put all of the book of Romans um, into a correct perspective. Now, this is kind of corny, but today I have three points for you. I, don't, I actually have a poem for you as well. And so it's going to go like this. I really became Southern Baptist today. Um, we're going to talk about shout outs, right? We're going to talk about watch outs. And we're going to cry out, all right? And so when we look at this passage here in verses 1 through about 16, Paul is giving some major shout-outs. Now, let me explain shout-outs. I believe today is the Grammys, is that correct? And so people are going to win random awards that they probably don't deserve, and they're going to stand up there, and they're going to be like, one, I want to thank God. I'm getting this reward, you love me. Why? Because God has made me awesome. Right? Also, I want to thank all of my wives, all of my husbands, and even the ones they don't know that I've had, or currently have. I want to thank my producers, I want to thank my directors, I want to thank my stylists, my PR people. And tomorrow, we'll find out who did a good job of doing shout-outs. Marshawn Lynch, the last few weeks, has been become very famous before the Super Bowl because everybody would ask him questions. He's the best running back right now. And they would ask him questions, and he wouldn't say anything, but he would just give shout-outs. He'd be like, shout-out Oakland. Skittles. All right? I mean, he'd just say the most random shout-outs. Well, Paul is going to give a huge list of about 26 names, I believe, of shout-outs to these people as he concludes this letter. Paul has never visited the church or possibly churches within Rome, and yet many of the people who have been in the trenches of ministry with him have now migrated and are doing ministry and planting churches in Rome. So there are several people, though he has never been to this church actually, have, but that he knows that are now there doing ministry. And so when he concludes this letter, he's going to be making these statements. Like I said, I think there's about 27 people, 26 people, something like that that he gives shout outs to. But today I'm going to kind of focus on three of them 
very briefly before we go on um, to the next kind of section here. Um, here in this very passage, chapter 16, verses 1, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. The first person that Paul mentions here is a woman, a woman named Phoebe, and, and Phoebe's name actually means pure or radiant as the moon. She was probably a Gentile pagan worshiper. She's named after the goddess of the moon. She was probably converted early in Paul's ministry, and it's believed that Phoebe was either a widow or a single woman, um, but has become very successful in business and currently lives in a suburb outside of Corinth where Paul is now writing this letter to the church. Everybody follow me? Text, context, setting, purpose, thing. All right? So he's <coughs> saying to this lady, and he describes her very clearly as three different things. He says, Phoebe's coming to you, and she is your sister. She is my sister. She's a servant, and she is a patron. You know, the use of brother and sister in Christ was a very common theme amongst early Christians. Um, you know, Laura and I have been spending some time with Ava talking to her about heaven and what that's going to be like and that mommy and daddy won't be mommy and daddy in heaven, but that we will be in an even better relationship, a perfect relationship called brother and sister, and that we need to learn to see the beauty of what this is. And so Paul already believes this. Man, this is my sister, but it's not like in a generic way. Like I grew up in Franklin going to high school, and from the time I was in elementary school all the way up, there was a guy that went to my school that we called brother. I have no idea why. What's up, brother? If I was to see him today, I probably wouldn't recognize him, and he wouldn't recognize me. But that's all. Brandon was his real name, but we called him brother. There was another guy we called Bubba. His name was Patrick. How those work? I don't know. There's a, a lady that uh, Laura works with that I graduated with. Her name is Stephanie. But our entire life, we called her Sissy. She wasn't my Sissy. But we called her that. All right? So Paul isn't meaning this in like, hey, bro. All right? He wasn't meaning this in a generic sense. He is meaning this in a real brotherly, sisterly sense. Phoebe is my Sister, See, I believe that healthy relationships between me, men and women in the church are very, very important. Now, key word there is healthy. All right? Healthy relationships. You know, boundaries need to be in place. There's no doubt about that. We need to protect one another, protect um, each other in those relationships. And even if we're married, we need to be careful. But yet, there should be strong relationships with people even of the opposite sex within our church for me i mean one of my best friend my best friend is my wife she is also my sister in christ uh, my sister jennifer hazel comes to church here she's a member here she is my sister we're extremely close we always have been we don't have a typical brother sister relationship we have always been extremely extremely close and so those are the typical ones that we have a tendency to think about. And yet there should be room for there to be healthy sisterhood and brotherhood, even with people who we are not married with. Again, let me stress, 
healthy, healthy. Um, for example, um, some of you guys know Jen and Jason Lewis. Uh, they are part of Mission Church. They are missionaries um, in a foreign country. I won't mention their name just because this will be put on uh, online and they're in a closed country. So I'll be careful with that. Jen and Jason um, are extremely close to Lorna. Uh, they are some of our best friends. I'm extremely close to Jason, and yet I am extremely close to Jen. She is my sister in Christ. Now, I don't take her to coffee. We don't go to movies together. I don't text her without Jason knowing it or call her and those sorts of things. There are healthy boundaries there. But we are still, I consider her to be a close friend of mine. All right. Um, she's always had a mutual trust with me and with my wife and we have with them. There has been respect for me as her pastor, even though she lives thousands of miles away. Um, there's also been pushback. She has challenged me on things. And so there's this mutual respect, a mutual love for us and for both of them that they're not just our friends, but they are our brothers and sisters in Christ, as she has respected me as her pastor, but also as her brother in Christ. Man, I, I think that we need those kind of healthy relationships within the church. We need to show the world that is out there that you can be in these sorts of relationships and them not be romantically involved. But they can be healthy friendships. Do there need to be boundaries there? Yes. Are there things that you shouldn't talk about unless they're your spouse? Yes. All right? If you struggle with porn, don't tell your best girlfriend that. All right? Um, not appropriate. All right? There are things that are appropriate and things that are not appropriate. But at the core of it, our relationships with each other should be extremely important. Now, think about this. Phoebe is going from Corinth, and she is going to the Church of Rome. I don't know if you've looked at a map lately, other than Google Maps, but there's a whole world out there. Okay? Other than what you can see on that screen that you have. And in that, she's going to go from Corinth, which is way over here, to Rome. Alright? This is a dangerous journey for anybody in the room. Alright? For male or female. And yet, she has been trusted, this single widow lady, to take uh, um, this letter. The, this letter to the people of Rome, she is embarking on this journey in service to Jesus, in service to Paul, in service to the local churches to take this letter to Rome. She must have been an amazing woman. She must have been a, a woman of great integrity to be handed this manifesto of the gospel, to travel thousands of miles, endure great hardships, so that the church of Rome would be blessed. Next, Paul calls her a servant. Within English, we, have, um, we translate this to be the word deacon. What is a deacon? It means servant, helper, assistant. Uh, we see in the book of Acts that the people begin to come to Jesus, and Jesus began to save the multitudes of people, and it, it began to also cause um, not problems, but good problems, in the sense of that Poor people were coming, people that were hungry, people that had needs, widows, orphans, um, people with all sorts of relationship issues were, were coming into the church as Jesus saved them. And yet what was happening is that the preacher, the pastors, weren't able to care for all of these people. And it also kept them 
from being able to preach the gospel even to more people. And so God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, tells the elders, he says, I want you to appoint deacons. I want you to appoint servants. I want you to appoint helpers. Now, this is a debatable thing, but I think that we can even see here in this passage um, that there were women who held these offices within the church. They were there to care, to take care of, to watch out for. They served in a variety of ways. Now, according to one of the commentators I read, the role of women in the early church was to care for fellow believers who were sick, for the poor, for strangers passing through, and for the imprisoned. They were also responsible for baptizing and discipling new women converts and to instruct children and other women. I want to be very clear in this. Women in the scripture were actively involved in ministry. They were actively involved in ministry. Were they actively involved in being the role of pastor and elder? We can't see that, all right? But all other positions, women were freed up. You've got to understand, culturally here, we're talking about if you are a woman in this room, you are property to a man. And yet, what does the gospel do? In view of the gospel, it transforms that. It gives responsibility a woman. It, it liberates a woman. It gets her uh, an opportunity to serve passionately her Lord and God's people. Women were never on the sidelines of ministry. They were always actively in, engaged in the life of the early church. Was it not the women who were able to stay with Jesus as he hung on the cross except for John? Jesus, the only people that didn't desert him were John and several ladies that watched Jesus die upon the cross. Was it not women who were the first to come to um, the tomb of Jesus on that resurrection Sunday? Were they not the first witnesses? And I'm telling you, during this time and in this culture, if you really wanted to proclaim a truth, you would never have a woman testify for you in court. It wasn't approved. And yet the gospel writers go against the culture. And in redemptive history goes against the culture because the first people to proclaim that he is risen. Easter's coming. Did you know it? It's coming. A few months away, we'd be hunting eggs and worshiping Jesus. It's a weird combo. All right? But Resurrection Sunday, he is alive. He is Lord. The testimony came from women. Phoebe, excuse me, was a great example for us to glean from on what it would be to me and what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus and a faithful follower um, or member of the church. Whenever Jesus went, wherever he went, women followed, served him. They were truly liberated. The gospel redeems women from being property to being people. This is why it's very important for us to be very cautious about the movies that we watch, the books that we read, that are constantly taking advantage of women. Think about this. It's become such a, a, a norm in our society to downgrade women that we have become numb to it. And it's gotten so far and so bad that even women have become numb to it. All right? I know this because when I go to the gym and stand around and drink coffee, there are people having classes and they like to 
make the music extremely loud so everyone in the gym can hear what music is coming from the classes. And there are typically few dudes. That's another com conversation. Lots of girls, lots of women in there jamming out to these songs. And I'm listening to these songs going, do they know what they're saying? But yet we've become numb to it. It's just become a part of our culture. And yet, what does Jesus do? Jesus redeems women. He liberates them. He gives them responsibility. You are more of a woman in Jesus than you are ever a woman apart from Jesus. We are pro-women here. We are pro-giving them responsibility. Ladies, I want to encourage you to be a woman like Phoebe. A woman who fears the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. I encourage you to study the women of the church in early history who gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. Throughout our history, God has used women in the local church, but also in foreign mission fields. Don't waste your womanhood on soap operas, erotic novels, and vanity. But give your life for the sake of the gospel. Lastly, Paul calls her a patron. It appears that Phoebe was probably pretty successful and financially supported Paul, his ministry and his other needs and their other needs. This is important. Whether you're single, a single, a widow, or married, to give generously for the sake of the gospel going forward. Um, the next couple that I want to talk about is a couple of people. It's Prisca and Aquila. In the Acts uh, form, it's Priscilla and Aquila. Um, my fellow workers, this is verse 3, in Christ Jesus who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles um, give thanks as well. All right? So Paul continues on, and these are now people that Paul knows who are planting churches and have, actually have a church within their home in Rome itself. And so we learn about uh, Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila in the book of Acts. They were tent makers, and we can see from Scripture, if you follow their story, um, these were some moving folks. They are living all over the place making tents. And as they're doing that, are spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ and are helping people that are in need. Paul calls them what? Calls them two things. Fellow workers in Christ. And he also says this, that they risked their lives. They were fellow workers. Think about this. For those of you that are married and for those of you who dream of being married, um, when you are looking at that relationship, you need to understand that, yes, it is a partnership and love and financially and intimacy and sanctifying and all of these things, but it is also a partnership in ministry. Prisca and Aquila, they were partners. They had both been saved by Jesus. And because of that, they were both willing to go and say, as the old song says, no turning back, no turning back, that wherever we will go as God leads us, we will go there and we will make disciples, we will have church in our home, and we will spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first time I considered planting a church, I remember having a conversation with Laura, and Laura was scared to death and had good reason why. But I remember God working in both of us, and that's the reason why I didn't do it. 
Um, a lot of times I call Laura the Holy Spirit of my life. And I felt like, man, if she couldn't partner with me, and if this, we couldn't both agree on this idea of planting, then I don't need to do this. Because she's my partner in all of life. And yet when we, when we came back to Bowling Green and we were talking about planting Mission Church, um, here's what I quickly realized. We were both scared to death. And yet, we're both completely confident that at this season in our life, this time in our life, this is what we need to do. So here we are. We are partners in ministry um, at Mission Church. Now, let me be very clear because this has also become popular. Laura is not the co-pastor of this place. All right, You can call her first lady. She really digs that. But this is... She is not the co-pastor. She is a member of mission who happens to be my wife. I don't ask Laura to be in charge of things. I ask and pray that God would use Laura and her giftedness to do what she so chooses with God's calling upon her life to be involved as an active member. This is so important to have that. When you're thinking about looking at that special someone across the way there, um, make sure that they're heading in the right direction, the same direction that you are heading. The second thing that I think was awesome about these people, underline it, circle it, they risked their lives. Paul even says they risked their lives for him. That selfish pastor. It's all about Paul. We get the picture here when it says they risked their lives. I, don't, I think this, this was an illustration, but it's a picture of them laying their heads down on the guillotine, waiting for the executioner to, to, to lower the blade or to drop the knife, cutting off their heads, causing them to cease to exist. That this was the kind of partnership and understanding that they had that, man, we are fellow workers. We're not pastors, but we're fellow workers in the ministry and we are willing to risk our lives. Man, my question today is, where are the couples? Where, where are the singles? Where are the college students? Where are the retirees that are willing to risk their lives for the sake of the gospel? And I mean life, I mean everything. Your money, your time, your talent, your treasure, your home, where you live, what neighborhood you live in. Where are the people that are willing to risk their lives? This, look how Paul describes these other people in their shout outs. And I'm not going to say their names because it'll either sound like I'm speaking in tongues or cussing. So I am going to read these things. All right. But listen to how Paul describes these other folks in these shout outs. Beloved, he uses that four times. He says, man, I love these people. Mission Church, I want you to know this this morning. Man, I love you as your pastor. And sometimes you are easy to love. And sometimes that love is a choice. But either way, it is love. Like, I deeply love you. I am consumed with loving you. You're my people. You're my brothers. You're my sisters in Christ. And I love you dearly. I take that very seriously and I get offended when people don't. Alright? But he continues going on here. He calls somebody the first convert. They worked hard for you. My kinsmen, my fellow prisoners, well known to the apostles, fellow worker, workers in the Lord, who has worked hard, chosen, also the word elect is used there, um, been a mother to me. 
How is Paul able to say all of this stuff? Because these people have been moved and wrecked and redeemed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and what is the common theme that we see taking place here? Because of the gospel, in view of the gospel in their lives, all of these people, not all of them preachers, but all of these people here have been so moved by the gospel of Jesus Christ that they worked, that they labored, all right? That their hands were callous, their knees were callous, they worked hard for the sake of the gospel, whether that was making a tent and preaching the gospel or being a stay-at-home mom and preaching the gospel or being a businessman or businesswoman and preaching the gospel. These people were fellow workers in Jesus Christ in view of the gospel. They had what we called last week a holy ambition. God is not going to call all of you to do what I do. Alright? And there are days that I, I wish that God would have called me to do what you do. Alright? And yet, whichever it is, you can have a holy ambition toward God in doing those things. They were changed by the gospel. These were the terms that Paul uses to describe the people who are in his church. Both, um, and both are a reflection, again, of their salvation. He loved them and their dedication to what? The work of the ministry. You know, I was, I was meditating on these superlatives this week and thought, what if Paul could write a letter to Mission Church. What if Paul could write a letter to Mission Church? What would he say about us? What would he say? Would he mention you? Would he mention me? And what would be the adjectives? What would be the descriptive terms? What admirations would he have for you and for me? Write this down. I'm going to ask you this week, or we're going to ask you this week in our missional community questions. Um, think about this. What if everyone in Mission Church was a follower of Jesus and a church member just like you? What if everybody in this church served, gave of their time, talent, and treasure just like you. Alright? And please don't try to justify and thinking you're awesome. Because right now everybody's going, oh, this place will be great. <laughs> I picked some coffee this morning. I made the best Folgers we can. Alright? <laughs> we, we like to do that. But to honestly think, now I know, please don't preach at me and get all Christianese. Every God's made us all different. Blah, blah, blah. Yes, I get it. Diversity is beautiful. Alright? But laziness isn't. Laziness is not beautiful. Alright? Not being sacrificial isn't holiness. Alright? But if everyone in our congregation was a member like you, an attender like you, a, a congregational person like you, a person of this community, what would our church and body of believers look like? See, Paul is getting at unity here. He's saying to these people, man, let's be unified in these Truths. Now, let's continue on because of time. Verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers. I appeal to you, brothers, 
to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to doctrine that you have been taught, avoid them for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites and by smooth talk and flatterly, flatterly they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. And they grow up in church. Romans 16, 19 said, lame. Great verse, bad song. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Google Romans 16, 19 says, and that joke will make sense. Note to self, don't ever say that again in sermon. All right, so when we see this, Paul is talking about unity, right? And he's, over the last several chapters, been talking about how we need to be together. And then in his closing argument goes, divide. This is now confusing. Why? Because you, he tells us there, when he says, I put you brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions. Two things there. One, watch out means like to be on watch. All right? To be on guard. This doesn't mean that we're looking for witch hunts. All right? But he's also talking about those who cause divisions, uh, create obstacles. That whole idea is the word that we get the word scandal from. All right? Scandal. What's taking place? This is a major theme throughout the New Testament in these early churches. As they began to plant churches, and, and the main leaders, like Paul, would go plant another church, people, swindlers, would make themselves known and weave themselves into the life of the church. Quack like a duck. They look like ducks. It's a duck. Not true. We call these people false teachers and false prophets that they began to teach and to twist the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would say twist the gospel of grace and make it into works. These men and women probably began to, to come in and to cause divisions and to lead people away from the gospel of grace into a gospel of works so that they themselves would have a following and they could take up offerings and get money and really proclaim themselves as these magnificent men of God and yet they were truly wolves in sheep's clothing. He tells us this in the book of Acts chapter 20. I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come among you not sparing the flock and from among you uh, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Even Peter talks about this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Just as Paul gives out these shout-outs, right, about how much he loves these people, did you know that there are other passages in scriptures where there are also shout-outs? But you, they ain't good. Alright? Paul is giving a watch out here. Several New Testament authors mention people by name and say, stay clear of these folks. For instance, he tells us um, for Demas, I think is his name, in love with for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. 
Um, he goes on and uses uh, an illustration from the Old Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, and he calls them, um, um, I forget their names, um, but these men opposed Jan- Janus, Jambres, these two guys. They opposed the truth, and so um, these men corrupted the mind and disqualified regarding Paul's telling Timothy, hey, stay away from these guys because they're acting like these guys from the Old Testament. All right? Um, we see Hymenaeus and uh, Philetus. Um, he tells them this in 2 Timothy verses two, or chapter 2, verse 16 through 18, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. He goes on to tell them that he is these same guys. Listen to this. Um, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So imagine, you're sitting here, we've gathered together, Sunday morning, Lord's Day, we've got a letter from the Apostle Paul. All right, let's start reading the letter. Stay away from Justin Crow. He's a loser. All right, it's all about him. Could you imagine? We can't handle that in church today. You know what happens when you confront people in church today? They take their ball and go home. They leave. We can't handle confrontation. We can't handle somebody questioning us on a heart issue. All right? But in the early church, this stuff happened. We're talking about a communal reading. Stay away from these people. They're trying to lead you away. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm, I think in 2015, the, the biggest area within the American church especially, which is disgusting that this is now spread to foreign countries, is the prosperity gospel. If you believe that you are going to get saved and get rich, that is the gospel from hell and Satan itself. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? People don't like it, though, when you start talking about their favorite prosperity preacher. And if you want to come talk to me and Pastor Justin after this, I'll give you a whole long list of people to stay away from that a lot of you guys like to read their books. And I'm telling you, you need to run from these folks. We had a family leave our church because in a sermon I mentioned one of their names. And they love this person. All right? If they're in Texas, always be careful. They got Dallas, and they got these big churches. All right, Dallas Cowboys. Sorry, Larry. Uh, but, hey, no, he's a Dallas fan. You know, you, you got to be careful, all right? Every person you read, every podcast that you listen to, you should do your research. You should be very careful, all right? Because it sounds slick. Who doesn't want to be rich? Follow Jesus. He makes you rich. You can watch Google, you know, YouTube videos of men at these huge conferences calling people to bring their money to the altar. And people will stand up in droves, and a lot of them in poverty, and bring hundreds of thousands of dollars and lay it at these preachers' feet and see the preacher dance all over that money and say things like, money, come in to me. Sounds ridiculous, right? happening this morning, I guarantee you, in America. All right? Not the gospel. I'm sorry if it offends you. 
But it's not the gospel. We see throughout Scripture that these men, a lot of times, they were, again, false teachers. They were secretly being destructive. They were teaching and whispering little heresies into the life of believers. And when you've got new Christians or naive churchgoers, they can be easily pulled in whatever direction because they're not firmly rooted in Jesus and in sound doctrine. This is why I preach. We've got to know our Bibles. We've got to know our Bibles. So that we can be able to discern, man, this doesn't sound like the gospel. This doesn't sound like Jesus. So we've had shout outs, we've had watch outs, and, and now we're going to have some cry outs. All right? So he goes on there and he talks about Timothy. He talks about um, Tertius, who is the, the scribe, the secretary that's writing this. He gives some more shout outs of his, his homo boys here. And then he goes on to this last statement here that we have traditionally called in your Bibles, it probably says at the top, doxology. Doxology. Let's read that together. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that has, was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God. Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Doxology. This is a kind of a glory saying is what doxology means. It's a hymn of praise. It is um, like, you know, a spontaneous eruption of excitement. We see these in several places throughout the Gospels. We can even see Paul kind of do this in several different places. It's like you've got one trait of thought and then something, it's like squirrel, all right? But you're like, God! It just, it, your eyes are opened and you can't do anything. It's like when you're riding in the car by yourself and you got on Christian radio and Oceans comes on and you're like, let go of the wheel and you're like, God! Oh, no! All right? I mean, it is a spontaneous praise and worship moment for you. You're like, that's my jam. All right? That's my song. Doxology. And so Paul and several of the New Testament writers, they get so consumed and so emotionally driven by truth. And that's a key phrase there emotionally driven by the truth of the gospel that they cannot contain themselves and they break open into spontaneous praise and worship of God. The entire book of Romans is about the gospel. It is the good news. Even in the midst of some difficult sayings and Deep theology. Let's not rehash Romans chapter 9. It is the gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does the gospel do? It reveals those whom have experienced it and those whom have not. It transforms lives. It redeems us. Again, Paul stresses the importance in this passage of what? The sovereignty of God. What do we mean by sovereignty? It's His power. It's His strength. It's His control. Jesus is able, listen, now to him who is able to, what, strengthen. Brothers and sisters, no matter what you are experiencing, he is able. I confess to my mission community group this week that I am a, a person that for some reason God has to keep in a statement, a state of weakness. And I've been in this state 
since I was a child. I'm not trying to play the victim card or anything like that, but just a lot of things have been very difficult for me in life. And yet, it is at my weakest moment that I myself find myself alone and on my knees crying out for God to make it. Ladies and gentlemen, pull the, the you know, undo the veil here. And the reality is, is without Jesus, I am a bumbling, emotional, depressed mess. Mess. All right, you know how people drive, especially single people, let me talk to you. You drive by these big neighborhoods and you're like, I wonder what it's like to live in that big house. To have that pool, to drive a black Jeep Wrangler, jacked up, chromed out, black on black on black, tinted out, big subwoofers in the back, chromed out in the front, DVD player inside. Not that I lust, um, but we all have our things, that's mine. So you drive by, and you look at that, and you go, I wonder what that's like. That is not me. You, you've seen this. This is totally off the page. You guys pay attention to these. Uh, it's a new movement called Miniature Houses. They're tiny. They're on a the trailer. Something happens to my wife and kids. That's my life. Like I move into Alaska. I'm growing out this beard and back hair, and that's where I'm spending. <laughs> and that's where I'm spending the rest of my life. There is nothing intriguing to me about the big house. Now that's okay if it's for you, all right? Because I'm weird and an introvert. But without the gospel, I'm gonna go live in the woods by myself. That's sanctuary for me. And yet, because of the gospel. In the moment of weakness, in the struggles that I have, what do we find out? Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to what? Not Zija. The gospel. The gospel. He is able to strengthen you through the gospel. And the what? The preaching of Jesus Christ. This is better than the gym. It's the preaching of the gospel. It's the preaching of Jesus. We should walk away from here, yes, wrestling, struggling, but also finding strength in the realization in all of these truths of Romans chapter of Romans um, that He is our strength. He is able. We should love the preaching and teaching of the Word, even if it's from a moron or ignoramus from Cracker Barrel like me. All right. It is found in the gospel. It is found in the preaching. It is found in the teaching. We should long to be here. We should be excited to hear the preaching. I am bittersweet today to be ending my favorite letter in all of the Bible today. Because I love these truths. Even the ones I don't understand. Even the ones I don't like. I love them. Because they are my strength. They are our strength. Paul concluding this, for thousands of years the gospel was truly a mystery and throughout redemptive history, God was unveiling it. At the cross and the resurrection, Jesus, he ripped the veil apart. Salvation is made way through the sacrificial death of Jesus upon the cross and the new life given through his resurrection. Jesus did not come only for the Jews, but he has come for the nations. Haven't we learned that? And yet, ladies and gentlemen, up till Jesus, that is not the belief. That is the mystery. It all culminates. Alright? 
We all see the truth. We all find out Darth Vader is Luke's dad. I mean, this is like, this is what it's all about. And Sorry, spoiler alert, because you haven't seen that. But we, we see here that it's all about Jesus. Who's it all about? Jesus. Oh, gosh. Who's it all about? Jesus. It's about Jesus. If you can't get excited about that, stop coming to church. This is what we're excited about. I'm sorry. Let you down. All right? Deflate your balloon today. It's all about Jesus. It's, it is all about him. But let's face it, my fear, my own life, life as pastor, is that we have become complacent, stagnant in hearing, believing, preaching, living the gospel. I tell you all the time, the hardest day to preach is Resurrection Sunday. Should be the most prolific celebration. And it's the hardest day. Why? It's like the end of the Titanic. Jack always goes down, folks. Like every time. Popsicle. Frozen. You can watch it a million times. But that's what's going to happen. There's room on the door. She was being selfish. There's whole science behind it. There's room on the door. Like ten of us could have lived. Alright? So don't be hating on me and sending me emails this week. Alright? what happens every time I read the resurrection story. He gets up! Every time, and we're like, oh, yeah, that's nice. Let's make a chocolate edible resurrection tomb, which they make, and crosses, which is extremely strange. To eat a chocolate cross. You wouldn't eat a chocolate electric chair. But we'll eat a chocolate cross. You see how ridiculous this is? But we're all numb to it. Oh, isn't it pretty? It's chocolate. Just trying to wake us up. We've become numb to it. It's all about Jesus. We breathe Jesus. We eat Jesus. We illuminate Jesus. We preach Jesus. God is the gospel. If you haven't gotten that, read the book of Romans again. God is the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. The Holy Spirit is the gospel. It is all about Jesus. When, when church becomes boring or preaching becomes boring or our prayers become too long or the grind of Bible reading becomes a chore or we forsake the mission, it is because we become numb to the gospel, too familiar with its beauty. When you live in a beautiful place or a city, a big city, that you can always tell who's a, ter- a tourist, not a terrorist. A tourist. Right? Because if you live in a city, you walk looking down. If you're in New York City as a tourist, everybody's doing this. I ain't got these in Scottsville. Alright, I mean, you're, you're looking up. You're taking it in. You've got your phones out. There was a popular photo this week in the news of a man sitting on this sailboat. Did you see this? And he's doing this right here. And there's a huge whale breaching the surface. Right in front of him. But he's looking at the phone. Is that us in the church? Man. Our struggle is that we're wanting the gospel to make our lives easier, to have better relationships, to be better parents, to have more people to do fun stuff with. 
Going bowling by yourself isn't fun. Going to the movies sometimes is fun by yourself. Eating alone all the time isn't fun. So I, I, I want to be a part of this community so I have people to do things with. Right? And yet, I'm sorry. But the gospel, the Bible, the book of Romans, all of human history is not about you and me. It's about Jesus. And in this place today, when you hear that, some of you, because you've been radically changed by Jesus, you find great comfort and security in that. And it causes and stirs within you emotion for some weird, it does not make sense. It is a paradox to go, it's not about me. And that is awesome. And for those of you that are non-believers, this is why the gospel separates the wheat from the tares as it shows, man, I want it to be about me. So, for those of you who are lost and undone without Jesus, come to Jesus and you will find rest. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. It doesn't mean that your life is going to be easier. It's probably going to get much, much, much harder to walk in holiness in honor of God. It is tough. Yet, He has called us to this mission. May we be a place and be like Paul in his thesis that we are not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Many of you grew up in church. I did, but we did not sing songs like this. But you grew up in a church and many of our brothers and sisters in Christ today are probably singing this and closing out their worship experiences as they probably do every Sunday. Maybe we should bring it back. But it is the doxology. I've written it in my Bible actually underneath Paul's doxology. But this has been for probably, I don't know how old this song is, probably a few hundred years I'm guessing. has been sung by believers all over the world in many different languages. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. 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 And then the long bare tone would usually say, Praise God. Praise God. It is all about Him. And that's what Paul says for 16 chapters. It is all about Him. Today, if you can surrender your life, and not make it about you, and make it about Jesus, welcome to the family. But if you're going to continue to live your life making it about you, then ladies and gentlemen, I love you enough to say that you are separated from God. You deserve the wrath of God. You have made a God out of something other than God, and that God is you. We, as believers, call you to repentance as the Scripture proclaims that we should. We call you to lay down your life of sin, to turn to Jesus, to follow Him all the days of your life. And one day, one glorious day, and I pray that it is today. And me even saying that, I hope it scares some of you to death. But I pray today is that day that Jesus comes back. And so the question, you can call it hellfire and brimstone if you want. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready? to meet Jesus. Stand with me.